you bow with me as we pray, please? Heavenly Father, today we've experienced the joy of lifting up our voices to you in praise. We've been able to give and to say to you, we love you, we thank you for what you've done for us, what you've given us. Father, we've been able just to pray and to listen and to, to be a part of something special because this is your day. It's the day you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And I pray that you'll give me an anointing now to preach the message that needs to be preached. I pray today that as we ordain James to be a deacon that he and Mallory will just realize what a uh, responsibility it is, what a, uh, the faith this church has shown in him and in her to elect him to this position. And I pray for not only him, but for each one of our deacons, that Lord, this will be a day of renewing their thoughts of what it means to be a deacon. And then Lord, that I can challenge the church through sharing some of the things that keep our deacons sometimes from being able to be the men they ought to be. And, and sometimes, Lord, it just uh, causes men to say, I don't want any part of it. So I ask you today to use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today is a special day, and we're going to talk about it. It's Father's Day, and that's a very special day for us, isn't it? And especially for those of you who have your dads are still alive, that you can say to them, Happy Father's Day and let them know that you love them and care for them. And, but I thought about this as I prepared to share on this Sunday of ordination, and I said, what better scripture could you find to talk to a dad about than what this particular chapter lays out for men who would desire to be a preacher, an elder, an a overseer in any shape, form, or fashion, or to be a deacon. It's the qualifications that all of us who are saved ought to find in our life. Every man who names Jesus as Savior and Lord, his challenge, and I think I heard Andrew pray this in his prayer, is to be this kind of man, to be what God would have us to be. So all of us who are dads today, I say to us, let us listen carefully to what the Bible has to say, and let us ask ourselves, is this the kind of man that I want to be? Is this the kind of man that I want the world to look at and say, I want to be like him because I see a difference in who he is because he's walking with Jesus where Jesus would have him to walk. So I entitled the message, and some of you probably wonder why in the world did he put a title like this on the message because this is what he wants to talk about today. Uh, that is, why would any man agree to be a deacon? Have you ever thought about it? Why would anybody desire to serve as a deacon? And, and I say that having been ordained a deacon at 21 years of age. So if any of you are worried about James, he's an old man compared to how young I was when I was ordained to be a deacon. So uh, don't let that bother you, James. If somebody says, well, you're young. I remember Brother Calvin Terry who was my pastor after I was ordained and who was a pastor when I surrendered to preach and who was my pastor about six months ago when he died at 90-something. I remember the first time he met me, he looked at me and the first words out of his mouth, James, were, oh, you're awful young to be a deacon. And I thought, yeah, I am, but that's what I am. So anyway, God knows and God calls us and uh, I'm thankful that you have been elected and selected and are willing to serve, and I pray that you'll make a tremendous deacon. 
And let me read those qualifications, then I want to get into some other things. The qualifications, and I'm only going to read verses 8 through 13, because Andrew shared with us about a pastor, an elder, an overseer, a bishop. And I, I think there's one area that a lot of people get all mixed up in. What's an elder? What's a pastor? What's a bishop? The, the word covers all of them. An elder is at office, and, and listen to what I say here, because this is important. Nobody is any more special than anybody else. When God created us, in that sense, we're all equal. A male and a female, we're equal people. For somebody to think that they're better than someone because of their gender is just stupidity to start with. Or to think we're better than somebody because of the color of our skin or where we come from or the language we speak, these things are totally unbiblical, they're unchristian. Now, the one thing that I think we miss out on, and in this day and age that we live, is that the roles that God assigned when He created us. Andrew spoke to that last Sunday in the latter part of the chapter he preached on, that when Paul talked about these qualifications, he didn't compare them to the day and age they were living in, he compared them to creation, didn't you? The fact that God created male and then He created female, and I'm not getting into all that today. But just to say this, the Bible is eternal. It's not something that changes with every generation or every time something comes along. Well, we reinterpret it to mix and to match that time of, of life because God knew that we'd be here on this day in 2019 as sure as He did when He gave Paul the message way back there uh, almost 1900 years, a little over 1900 years ago. So we need to remember that. And I think one of the fallacies that we're running into in this day and age is instead of us taking God's Word at what it says, we try to make it say what we want it to say. And, and I, I've learned this in my ministry. If I see a, something that seems to be confused in our age, James, what I do is I try to go back as far as I can and find out how those folks living closest to that time how did they interpret this? How did they look at it? How did they see it? Because they were closer to it than what we are today. And we have so many different versions of the Bible today. And verses, uh, words are said and different. And by the way, words change. Meaning, we all know that. And one of the biggest words that thus are, those of us who are older understand is the word gay, right? Uh, when we were growing up, you could have a gay time. And I, I remember reading one of Helen Steiner Rice's cards not many years ago, and I thought it was on display, could have been bought, and I thought this card would be totally misread today because she said she hoped we all had a gay time. Gay today has been turned into something else. Sometimes words change their meaning. But I believe the Word of God never changes, and therefore when He says something, I take it at face value, and I believe that's what we ought to do. And so there's where you're going to have to learn to deal with it and to stand on it because there's going to be things that will come along that you'll have to deal with. But he says in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, he says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless." Likewise, and I like this because I think this is something we overlook totally sometimes when we're thinking about who would make a good deacon. It says, likewise, uh, 
their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we think about these words, we think about what they are, and so I come to this conclusion, as I thought, and I wrote down the uh, introduction to this. This is different than any sermon I've ever preached on the ordination of a deacon. I thank you all who've been here. I think this is the 10th ordination we've had since I've been here, so you've never heard anything like this. But one thing I know, the office of deacon has been compromised, maligned, and misused. We all know that. I mean, we'll talk about that as we go through it. And James, this is why it is so important that as you accept this responsibility, as you begin to walk down this road, you're going to learn that it isn't an easy road to walk down. Not because that you don't want to be the best godly man that you can be, and not because you will not be the most godly man that you can be. We'll talk about some of the things that people think about those of us who were deacons, and having been one, I know I've been there. I've been on both sides of the pulpit. Pastorate is the same way. And sometimes people, I don't know what they think we are, uh, other than human beings, because God has given us a special call. My feet are clay, just like everybody's in this room. I make mistakes, just like everybody in this room. Sometimes I goof up super big time, more than anybody in this room, because I'm a human being, not because I need to be. But there's nothing more exciting to you than for somebody to call and chew you out. Because, you know, they, you are the chewer, chewy. You're the little thing that you buy that the dog chews on. That's what you are, and they enjoy doing that to you. And you need to understand that when you become a deacon. It's not going to be just a smooth sailing. You've accepted a position where you're going to be fussed at. You're going to be, I'll, we'll talk about more about that as we go on forward. Well, I believe, and you all have heard me say this, it's the most important office outside of the pastor, certainly. And why is the pastor important? Not because he's better than everybody else, but because he ranks where he ranks, the servant to everybody. But yet, he is the under-shepherd, so therefore, that's the position. It doesn't make him better. It doesn't make any of us better, but our ranking under. Uh, Mallory has just finished college. They got married two weeks ago yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. She's going to be a school teacher starting now, I guess, maybe, or at least in the fall when the kids go back, or not in the fall, in the middle of the summer when they go back. And Mallory will be as important and as special and as worth, her worth is as much as the principal of the school where she'll be teaching, right? But Mallory ranks under that principal. So that principal, whether, it, I don't know who it is, he or she has more authority they have, you respond to them. You are under their rule because they are that position that they have. It's the same with all of us. I worked public work several years before I surrendered to preach. And I was not a foreman. I was not a superintendent. I was an ordinary worker. So guess what? I ranked under all of them, didn't I? They weren't better than me, but because of the positions we had, I ranked under them. And that's one of the things I think we forget. But I think the highest call, now this is my opinion, the Bible doesn't say this, 
I, I think it, though I believe it with all my heart, I think the highest call that a man can have from his church is to be called to be a deacon, not the person who's called to be a preacher or a pastor. Because when you're calling deacons, you're looking at the men in your church, you know them, you've watched them over a period of time, and you're calling them and saying, we believe that you meet the qualifications. We believe that you'll be a man of God that will carry out these qualifications. We believe that you'll be someone that we can be proud of, that we can look to for leadership. And so therefore, you're called from within the congregation, and most of us who are called to be pastors are called without a congregation. You all see the difference I'm saying? We've surrendered to preach. We've been somewhere uh, you put a committee together, they get a bunch of resumes and they sift them out whatever way they decide to sift them out and somewhere along the line they come and say, Tony, we think you're the man, right? And so I come, you all don't have a clue who I am except somebody stood up and said, this is the man that God wants to be our pastor and somebody says in their heart where they said out loud, well, who are you to tell us who you think God wants to be our pastor? All right, some of you have been there and done that. Let's be honest. It's what we need to be is honest, right? And so anyway, the man comes in, whether he be. Uh, Brother Al has a grandson who's new down at Clarkson. Now they're having to learn who he is. How does he compare to the last pastor? Does he comb his hair the same way? Does he speak the same way? Does he walk in the pulpit the same way? You know, does he respond to everything the same way? Because they don't know him. And it'll take them a while to learn him. I've got something here in my Bible, I think. If I can find it, I thought it was pretty good. And I know I've got it over here. It says, no man is a pastor until his call is ratified in the minds and hearts of his congregation. You're not the pastor because they call you and because you come in to preach that Sunday that you're supposed to be here. It's when the people accept you as the pastor, when they understand who you are, when they begin to believe that you're really the man that God sent and loved you. So your call, and I think my call as a young deacon there in, in Kettering, Ohio, when Peggy and I were living up there, that was a high call because those people said, we see in you something. We want you to be one of our deacons. And I'll never forget, and this is probably immaterial, but I think it's to you, you can probably understand it, that night, when they called me to be a deacon, Floyd Reynolds, who was chairman of the deacons, stood before that church and made a statement. And I didn't know what he was saying at the time, but I realized, he said, we're calling this young guy to be our deacon, but he's not going to be a deacon long because God has something else for him. And undoubtedly, God had already laid on his heart what he began to deal with me about, that I wouldn't be very long because I'd be surrendering to the ministry. And so God has a way of using us. But it's, it's very important. It's not an office of honor, by the way. It's an office of service. You're becoming a servant. In fact, the words, that, the words used for that is either a servant or a table waiter. And we'll talk about that a little bit more about table waiters because some people can be really ugly to table waiters, can't they? I remember when I pastored in Florida, the DOM invited a bunch of us preachers to go eat a little steakhouse down there, and we went out. We ate, and he didn't like the way his steak was cooked. And boy, did he show his backside. And I sat there that day, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I'll never go anywhere with this man to eat again. Anybody could treat a waiter, a waitress, like he just treated that young lady. Table waiter isn't somebody that usually James gets patted on the back. If the food isn't good, they're the one that gets grouped at. 
Sometimes they get a good tip, though, don't they, Brother Al? If they're a good waiter, sometimes they get a good tip. But most of the time, a lot of people don't do a whole lot for them. I, it really tickles me. Peggy and I went out with a pastor and his wife one night to eat, and when we did, he left one of these tracks. Y'all ever see these tracks? Let me give you a tip, and you know, that you put your tip in it, and then it tells you how to be saved. I'll never forget that night. He was entertaining us, and if I had to do over, I'd have done something different. Bill was, you know, for four people, it wasn't outrageous, but it wasn't anything little, and he put a dollar bill in it and left it for. I thought, how in the world can you think that she's going to give, read that that you just gave her when you're so chintzy that you give a girl a, ten, a dollar, probably if a bill was 30-something dollars or 40, and you didn't care enough to give her a five dollars at least or maybe 10. Amen? Listen, folks, when you go out to eat, take care of those people that wait on you. Most of them don't make but $2 and something an hour to start with, and they're wanting you, they need you and me to take care of them. And if they're really good, take care of them really good. And if they're having a bad day, take care of them anyway because they can have a bad day. Do you know it? They are human beings like we are. Well, Tony, if you don't preach, we're not going to get out of here, right? So let's look at these three things, James, and then we're going to have the men to come and lay hands on you. And then after they come and lay hands on you, I'll talk about this again. Your dad's going to pray over it. And then we're going to have a hymn of response, which we want you all to think about as you listen to this. Can it apply to me? And let me share something with you. If you're here today in any of this, these categories that I talk about, and you find that these things have been some of the things that you've done in your life, ask God to forgive you for it. If you've talked about a deacon, you've maligned our deacons, Ask God to have mercy on you for it. They're human beings. That's all they are, is human beings who've been called to do a job. And I'm going to tell you all something. I've been here almost 10 years now, and these men, in my opinion, have served very well in 10 years. Have they made some mistakes? Well, I'm sure you have. They're human beings. Have they said some things occasionally they probably shouldn't have said? I'm sure they have. Have I had a disagreement with them? I have occasionally. And we have it, and we talk about it, and guess what? We don't quit giving to the church, and we don't go around and tell everybody how much we dislike each other, and what a scoundrel they are. We love each other, and we pick it up, and we go on, because that's what life is all about. First of all, compromised. This, these three things I want you all to think about a deacon. Before I do that, let me talk to you if you're lost here and today, because I don't want you to leave here today lost and not know what the Bible tells you about being a part of God's forever family. You can be a church member and be lost. Did you know it? Being a church member doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. It's coming to the realization that you're lost and you need Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And coming to the point that you're willing to say to him, I'm a sinner. I have sinned greatly. I have done things I shouldn't have done. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've been involved in things I shouldn't have been involved in. And I come to you confessing that and asking you to come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Direct me. Now, I don't know how you may want to say that if that's who you are, but that's what we need to do. And once we've trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and the Baptists, we don't, we don't encourage this like we ought to, the very next thing that we ought to do 
is go forward in a church and tell the world that we've trusted Jesus so they can know who we are and they can pray for us. They can undergird us and follow Him in believer's baptism. And what we're telling the world is the old man has died, the old girl has died. We're here today new and we're buried and we're raised to walk a new life. Amen? And we ought to walk that life. People ought to see a difference in who we are. We want to we ought to want to imitate or live like Jesus in everything that we do. So I share this with you real quickly. Two verses that are so powerful that most of you have probably heard them all your life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who's willing to come, trusting Him, repenting, letting Him come and love you. And then he says, you say, well, you don't know, Tony, what I've done. God wouldn't forgive me. I've been so bad. He says, for he sent not his son into the world, condemn the world, what? But that the world through him might be saved. He came that he could take those ugly, terrible things that we don't even want to think about or talk about, and he could clean us up and, and make us free in Jesus. What a deal it is to be a part of God's forever family, that he'd do all that for us. That's the first qualification to start your journey to be a deacon, to be a godly person. If you're here today and you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. And in the time of response, if you've done that or you want to do that, I'll be here before we come and let all of you come and shake hands with James and Mallory and encourage them. This is your day to come to know Jesus, to let the world know that you know Jesus. So let's look at these three things real quickly. I believe that in a lot of ways the office of deacon has been compromised. Compromised. The Bible is very specific, isn't it, in what it says to us right here about the qualifications. And I think that too many churches are willing to elect anyone to the position regardless of what the Bible says about these godly qualifications. Too many times the office of deacon is filled not by qualified people, but by people who are popular or people who come from a certain group. And that's not the way we elect deacons. I pastored a church, and I was talking about one of the deacons, and a lady in that church said to me this, he should not have been a deacon. My daddy should have been the deacon because it was his turn. And that was out of that family. You don't get elected because you belong to a family. You don't get elected because you're the president of the bank. You don't get elected because you're popular. You should be elected a deacon because you meet these qualifications. It could be a deacon who is the president of a bank. It could be a deacon who is the most popular man in town. It could be a deacon for a lot of reasons who are very special people, but just because they're special people doesn't mean they're qualified to be a deacon. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? We elect people because they're men who can carry out and meet the qualifications that God has said. And James, I'm going to say something to you. I believe, and I've observed you, back when you were in high school, you came back here and you shared with us why you wanted to be a part of this church. I've watched over you since then, and I believe that James meets the qualifications to be a deacon. I can say that as a pastor of this church. Number one, it says to be reverent. 
to be reverent. That's to be serious or worthy of respect. Be a man that people can, be, can respect and say, hey, there's one of our deacons. I'm proud to introduce you to one of our deacons. And I say, whoo that deacon will do anything. Number two, not double-tongued. And that's not saying one thing to one person and just the opposite to another one. Or one who carries tails. These qualifications are difficult. I'm going to tell you. People think they're not. They're, 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 they're hard qualifications if we live by them. <clears throat> Number three, not given to much wine. And I want to, you know, we, get, we fight over this thing about drinking. And everybody here, I'm not preaching that sermon again today, by the way. Aren't you all glad? I'm going to just leave it here. But I want to read you two verses, James. And this is my recommendation to you about that part of the Bible. If you all want to turn to it, I think every Christian ought to underline these two verses in their Bible. They're found in Proverbs 31. Does anybody know what that chapter's about? That's where we talk about the virtuous woman, isn't it? And if you've ever been to a funeral of a godly lady, you've probably heard this chapter preached from, right? What a virtuous woman she was. But look up here in the beginning of that, in verse 4 of chapter 31 of Proverbs. The Bible says, now this is King Lemuel being talked to by his mom, and she says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. What did she say to him? Leave it alone, because if you drink, it's going to affect how you act. I'm going to go back to, to an example that I think works well. As some of you know, our early son was in the military. He was an Apache helicopter pilot. They had a colonel, who, or a lieutenant colonel, who became, I guess, the brigade or whatever it is. I'm Air Force. I don't know what it is, but over most of them were the companies fit under. For you Army guys, you'll know what that was. Battalion, would that be what it was? Bruce said he was a heavy drinker. And when he became battalion commander for that period of his time he never took one drink of anything his reasoning was this i never want to live out my life wondering if i had not had that drink would i've made another decision and that was if something happened to some of those men he was commander over listen to me if you never take the first drink you never have to worry about being a drunk you don't have to worry about saying and acting like an idiot. And certainly you'll never become an alcoholic. And that goes for all of you. If you leave it alone, it'll never get you. The Bible says it'll eventually bite you like an adder. Stay away from it. It embarrasses. You can embarrass yourself greatly by it. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that I've never had it, never touched it. And it wasn't because I didn't have opportunity I'm going to tell you why. Because there was somebody in me greater than who I was. I'll never forget that night out in Fort Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, when I got redlined and was told that I couldn't go home and I hadn't been home for three or four months after I went in and I wouldn't be another three or four months before I got home. And one of the guys said to me, 
Carson, all you need to do now is go out and get drunk. And I thought to myself, well, what an idiot that would be. I've seen some of the things you drunks do, and I'd still be here in the morning acting like you all acted and probably sicker than two dogs, and I still wasn't going anywhere because they were in charge of me. Look around at people that drink it and see how they act and ask yourself, is that the way I want to act? Do I want to be that silly? You don't want to, you don't want to give your kids any reason to ever want to touch it. I'm getting on that sermon. I'm going to move on. Not giving to much wine. And finally, not greedy for money. Don't let money rule you. The Bible doesn't teach that it's wrong to have money. We need to understand that. It's how we handle the money. It's the love that we have for it. It's the things that we want to talk about. You know, things. I like that bumper sticker. Uh, you know, you've seen this, this bumper sticker that he died with most toys or who can die with most toys. There's another one that said, it doesn't matter who dies with the most toys, they're still dead. It doesn't matter how many dollars you have in the bank. It don't matter how many acres of land you own. It doesn't matter how many cars you have out in your garage. It doesn't matter all these things. When you're dead and gone, you're dead and gone. You leave it all behind for somebody else. So use it for God's glory. Whatever He gives you, use it for God's glory. And you'll find that if, I'm, I'm telling you, if you'll find, if you do for Him what He tells you to do, He'll bless you in so many ways that you can't stand it. I'm telling you, if you give Him good, if you're a tither and a giver above that, which you ought to be, that's what He says. If you'll do that, he says, I'll pour you out a blessing you can't contain. He doesn't say, I'll give you more money. He doesn't say, I'll give you more vehicles. He doesn't say, I'll give you more land. He said, I'll pour out blessings that you can't receive. So always honor God with your first substance. It doesn't matter whether it's him and Mallory or whether it's anybody in this building. Because if you'll honor him with your first substance, he is obligated to pour you out a blessing because he said he would. And what do we know about God? That God never lies, does he? So he'll take care of us and do the things we ought to do. So I believe that we've compromised it because we have not stuck strongly with these qualifications. Now I think that we've misused the office. And that comes back to deacons who can misuse it. And James, that's one thing you don't want to do. Over the years, and I, these are things I've written down, and I usually don't do this, but I want to make sure I say what I did because I've never preached a sermon like this before. Over the years, churches have allowed their deacons to become a board of deacons. A board of deacons. You know what happens when you become a board of deacons? deacons? You develop something, and I wrote this down, this leads to mistrust, but even worse, men who think they run the church. God never intended the deacons to be a board of deacons. A board runs something. Now, we are not going to get into elders. We could go back there and talk about that, but we'll leave that alone today. I'm not talking about elders. But the deacons are, what did I say the word was? You remember? Servant or table waiter. Uh, servant and table waiters are not board of directors, are they? A servant or table waiter I put down here is not a leadership role. And then I put something else, and I want every member of this church to hear this. Listen to me. I said, thankfully, the deacons of First Baptist or, are organized as a body of deacons desiring to minister to the church family and to each other. Now, I'm going to read you. You didn't know I was going to use this for this, did you, J.R.? 
I'm going to share with you the agenda of our last deacons meeting. For those of you who think we gather over there in the MRC building and turn the lights down real low and we lock the doors and we pull all the shades and we sit around to say, what can we do tonight? How can we do something to hurt the church today? Listen to this. This was last month's agenda for our deacons. Prayer. That's pretty good, isn't it? They started out by praying. Then, as you all know, under our new constitution, we're the board of directors. That's illegal. We, can, we didn't bring that on ourselves. That's under the law of Kentucky. The deacons serve as board directors. The pastor serves as CEO or president. Doesn't that make me important? I'm the president of First Baptist Church of Sonora, Kentucky. So what did we talk about last time? Most of the time, we don't have anything to talk about. It takes us about five minutes. Y'all have any idea what we talked about? We talked about painting the inside of this building. That was a really big deal, wasn't it? When we're going to get that done. That was the agenda of the board of directors. We need to get this painted. Y'all can see a few leaks, a few wet spots. You didn't know they were there. Now I ruined it all, JR. Now everybody's looking up to see all these things. Then they gave time for me to staff comments. What did we want to talk about? And then the next thing they discussed it, what can we do that we haven't done before? What things can we do to make the church better? And then we talked about the deacon election. That was going to be June the 2nd, told who the candidates were. And then uh, those who we had talked to, uh, we had those names down and, and it was said, thank you for your willingness to serve if elected. I think all those men were invited to come to that deacons meeting. One or two came. And then the next item on the agenda was commitment to family ministry program, accountability to each other. What have you learned about your families? Know about your families. Learn about your families. And I'm going to emphasize in this year that those deacons get into your home at least once every six months, twice in that year, and hopefully once every quarter, so they can sit down with you all and talk to you, James, about what do you, what's going on. You got any questions about the church? See, rumors get to going, folks, because, and once they're going, it's like a wildfire. And if you got a problem, call your deacon. Say to him, come, I need to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I heard this. Is there any truth in it? Why can't we get this done? What's going on with that? And the deacon can't find it out. The deacon ought to come back to me and say, Tony, so-and-so wants to know about a certain thing, and I'm not sure of it. Can you help me? And we'll go over it, and that person will come right back to you directly and talk to you and share with you. And if it needs to go further, come to me. But I want our deacons to listen to you and talk to you so that you can understand why do I get up here and preach about tithes and offerings? Because it takes a whole lot to run any church anymore. We, Peggy and I visited with a guy this week. Went to, he wasn't visiting with him. We bought something. And he goes to one of the largest churches in the state of Kentucky. It's not Southeast Christian, by the way. It's in another one of our cities. And he said, man, they ask for money every time we go. They're wanting money for this, and they're wanting money for that, and they're wanting money for something else. And I thought, you know, if all of our churches of people tithed, you would never have to ask for anything because you'd have the money to do all those things that they're having to ask you to give extra to. Right? 
Just simple. God gave me $100, so how much of it's God's? Ten. God gave you $1,000, how much of that's God's? Oh, well, let's back up. God gave you $100, and how much of that's His? God, yeah, you're right, the other 90% is. How much does He ask to give back to Him? $10, right? He gave me 1000 how much did He want me to give? 100 right? He gave me 10000 how much did He want me to give back? 1000 He gave me 100000 how much did He want me to give back? 10000 That's just in offering. He says your tithes, or your, that's in tithe, offerings are above that. So simple. And God's church could just do, we could reach this world for Jesus in the two years if God's people in Southern Baptist Convention just tithe. Third is maligned. maligned. And, and I hate to say this, James, but this is the truth. There are people who will malign you just because you're a deacon. For some reason, they don't like deacons. That is a crying shame, folks, that we can't love those men that we call to be deacons. If we've done the right thing and called the right men, we ought to be proud as punch that those are our deacons. And we ought to undergird them with our prayers. We ought to encourage them. We ought to come up to them and tell them we're praying for them. And if you've got a need, you have something you want to talk to them about, be willing to talk to them about it. A lot of people think that the deacons just want to do what they want to do. I'm going to tell you what. I have been at this business a long time. And I have, I say this about pastors as well. I hear people talk about, well, that preacher just wants this. I have never seen a preacher, pastor, that I didn't think was really interested in the best for his church. I've seen some that I thought did some dumb things, and they've looked at me and thought I did some dumb things. I'm sure of that, but I can tell you everything was that. All the deacons that I've served with over all these years, I, cannot, I could not name you one that I think was just selfish and just wanted something because he was selfish. He might have been misguided. He might not have understood the situation. He might have been wrong in his approach, but in his heart, he wanted what was best for the church. Y'all have had a lot of deacons, some of you, in your lifetime. And you think back at them, and you ask yourself, were they selfish men? Not did they bring some things that I wasn't for. Not that I agreed with everything they did, but were they selfish men? Or did I believe that they were men in their heart who wanted the best for the church? James, always want the best for the church. Always seek God's guidance. And don't hesitate to share why you feel that way if someone challenges you on it, but do it with grace and dignity and love. And finally, I wrote down here, this could happen if deacons saw themselves as a board, if they saw themselves as we're the ultimate. We're not. I am not the ultimate. They are not the ultimate. The genius of us at this point, and I'm not sure that this is, always takes place, but is that we are a body who believes in congregational authority. And when we come together in a business meeting and we make a decision, whether I agree with it or disagree with it, it's the decision of the church. 
The tragedy of Baptist churches is we have about a tenth of our people who show up for a business meeting and 5% of our people can make the decision and then 95% can gripe because it wasn't the decision they wanted made instead of 100% showing up and us working together and making the decision that is best for the church. James, I hope and pray, and I say to everyone else, that this office and your life in this church will see the office of a deacon in a biblical way and honor this most important office. So I'm charging you as I read verse 13 to you, and then I'm going to ask J.R. to come and get a chair and let you sit here where the men can come by. Listen to this 13th verse. For those who have served well as a deacon, obtained for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Son, if you'll let me say that to you, I know you're John's boy, but I'm going to call you son. You're coming today, and Mallory's there with you. She doesn't have to come over here, but she's here with you today to say as a young couple, as husband and wife, we're going to be the best deacon and wife that this church has ever seen because we're going to do our best to honor God by bringing glory to Him through this charge that He gave us in this verse. James, come and take a seat. Ordained men, you can come to lay hands on Him. And after we've done that, what we're going to say is that we're so proud that James has said in his heart, said to us in the ordination council, that he wanted more than anything to be what God would have him to be, to be an honorable man to God, to bring glory to God. And after they've laid hands on you, James, I'm going to ask your dad to have the ordination prayer. And let me say to the congregation, after the ordination prayer, Andrew will come and lead us in our hymn of response. And it may be that some of you would just want to come, or even as you go by him, as we have time to say to him and Mallory how proud and thankful we are that God has elevated him, brought him, and appointed him through this church to this office, that we're going to be there for them and that they can count on it. And if, they, if you ever hear that I've said something behind your back, you come to me and I'll apologize if I said it.